It's a reading from Mark 6, verses 30 to 56. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send people away so that they can go to the surrounding countrysides and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind against them because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed in Genesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns and countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplace. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, 
Father, by your spirit, come speak to us through your word. Uh, Come reveal to us um, what it is that you want to say to us this morning. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that you are a God who um, has um, wisdom and truth and hope and um, a calling over our lives, um, even this week, even this day. So would you come speak to us and, and enable us to hear what you have to say to your people this morning. Amen. Amen. So uh, when you press the pause button on a machine, it stops. But when you press the pause button on human beings, they start. You start to reflect. You start to rethink your assumptions, to reimagine what is possible and reconnect with your most deeply held beliefs. Um, So says American author Dov Seidman, or Seidman, I'm not quite sure. Um, I wonder what your goals are for this year. Um, Maybe you've stepped into 2023 with a list of resolutions and plans. Um, I won't ask for a show of hands. Um, Maybe you haven't, um, uh, at least not explicitly. Uh, We all know that we, we live with ambitions, all of us, and hopes and dreams, whether or not we commit them to paper or even recognize or name them. And usually at the heart of our spoken or unspoken personal visions is the desire to be maybe happier or less anxious perhaps or more healthy or to be kind of better people in some sort of way maybe more productive or more compassionate we want to make a positive difference in the world to those we know and we love or simply those around us but these kind of goals tend to take us in the direction of doing more, Uh, achieving more, uh, getting more stuff done. It rarely leads us to deciding to do less, to stop, to pause, just to simply breathe. Somebody said to me recently, responsibilities are like roses. You have to keep pruning them. And this morning, I just want to kick off the new year by talking kind of once again uh, about the practice of silence and solitude and the spiritual discipline of less in a sense and I I say once again because this was something that we looked at in the first couple of months after I started here back in the summer of 2021 Um, and as a church we outlined our vision our goals last September Um, hopefully you remember them but if you've just joined us since then and as a church we are all about Becoming disciples of Jesus or or apprentices in today's language of Jesus Christ. That's the stated aim uh, that Jesus had for his church. If you look in the Gospels, um, that's what he set them up to do. That's what he set them up to be right from the start. For people to come into relationship with him, receiving salvation and restoration through his death and resurrection. And then discovering in the light of that how to live life, (coughs) excuse me, his way. And we saw how during his years of ministry, when he taught and demonstrated what he called the kingdom, um, which is what the world would look like if people did things his way, he invited people to come and to follow him. Uh, But not like a sort of a YouTuber or influencer today looking for kind of subscribers or followers. And because the first prerequisite to be his disciple, to become his disciple, was to be with him to live and to walk and to sleep and to eat uh, where he lived and walked and slept and ate. And by doing that, his followers would start to become more like him, 
eventually learning to imitate and do the very things he did. So we have these three goals, if you like, to be with Jesus, to become more like him and to do what he did. Or um, as, as you'll see on the, the term card, um, uh, it's, it's kind of there in, in, the, in, the, in the blurb at the beginning. Um, with Jesus, like Jesus, for everyone. Because Jesus calls everyone. He calls people everywhere to come and follow him and to take up their cross and to die to themselves and to become his disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that's the pattern that has been passed down to us um, 2,000 years to us today. That's why we're here, because Jesus made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And the question that we're left with that every generation has to answer is how do we do that today? And what does it mean for us to be with Jesus, uh, to become more like him, to do what he did? Because the world is, is obviously a very different place today. Um, I mean, we have uh, smartphones and we're not living under Roman occupation. Our context is quite different from the context Jesus walked in. But we're here, we're part of this because we believe that Jesus's way is the way in every age and generation. It's the answer to those questions of how should I live? What my goals, my ambitions should be focused on? Whatever it is that you are hoping for, or aiming for this year. And so this question of how is at the heart of what we come together to figure out. Um, on a Sunday morning, uh, during the week in our small groups, so, so from now up until half term, we're going to start um, looking at a few of these practices, ancient practices really, that are all designed to help us to be with Jesus. Uh, so jumping back to that summer that we spent in Mark 1 to 3, we saw that right from the start of his ministry, um, after his baptism by John in the River Jordan, Jesus heads out to the wilderness. Now, the Greek word for that, um, uh, for wilderness there, is eremos, um, and it means um, a desolate or solitary place. And in this solitary place, Jesus is tempted by the Satan, um, literally the accuser, for 40 days. And I think we're left from that with this kind of sense that the wilderness is, the solitary place is, is a bad place. Um, it's, it's a place where bad stuff happens, a place that has to be survived and then sort of you can come back from. Um, but if you've got a Bible, I, I, I realise that we, one thing we forgot to bring through was the Bibles. We'll try and have the Bibles next week. But if you've got one on your phone or if you've got a Bible, it'd be a good time to grab it. Um, Mark chapter 1, Jesus returns from the wilderness and he starts proclaiming his kingdom he calls some disciples, he heals a few people, and then, in verse 35, he returns to the wilderness, to the solitary place. He goes back, just as the, the hype is getting going, the momentum is building, and he goes back to the solitary place. He takes himself off early in the morning, and he goes to pray and to be alone with his father. And this completely throws his disciples, his new followers. They, um, you know, they wake up ready for, a, for another day of building his kingdom. And lots of people have gathered to hear and receive from him. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. And when they do find him, he takes them off, not to where they were, but to another destination. So now the wilderness is not just a place of testing. It's somewhere where Jesus chooses to go, to rest, to be alone, to recharge and that solitary place is also crucially the place where his kind of his mission his agenda is reframed and refocused 
And then the story of the next few chapters in Mark is um, Jesus continuing to heal people, set them free, um, call people to follow him, perform miraculous signs, all um, you know, of which brings him to the attention of the local religious leaders. That's a story of chapters two through to six, where we are today. Um, and then in our reading today, we, we pick up the story. Jesus has um, sent his disciples out in pairs, okay, to start doing what he, he did. It's a very abrupt apprenticeship with Jesus. If you've ever felt kind of out of your depth or not experienced enough to be doing perhaps what Jesus might be calling you to do, um, join the club. Um, he gives people ridiculous responsibilities when they're not remotely ready for it. Um, he has a track record of doing that. And it's like they've spent a week with him and he says, right, off you go now. You, you go heal some people, <laughs> set people free from spiritual bondage. And um, in Luke's gospel, actually, Luke tells us they return amazed at all that has happened when they pray for people. They're completely surprised by it. Um, yeah, they pray for people and people are actually healed. And they're like, whoa. Um, yeah, Lord, may that be our experience this year. So in this uh, passage which Ness read, there are kind of two set pieces, right? Um, if you like, which we, we could look at. First, there's the, the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and then there's Jesus walking on water. Uh, both of them classic kids' church stories. Um, they might be doing that this morning. I don't know what they're doing this morning. We'll find out later. Um, but th those are kind of two stories that, that a lot of people are familiar with. But what I want to do is actually take a look through a wider lens at what is going on around those episodes. So we're going to look a little bit at the geography of Mark chapter 6 a little bit so you can get your colouring pencils out. Um, so Jesus and his disciples are um, on the west side of Galilee, okay? So Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, is, is kind of somewhere over here-ish, I think, down here. Um, and we know that he did ministry in his hometown right near the beginning. And then this is the area. So to the, to the, the west, Mark tells us that they're doing ministry in these villages and towns um, in this area. And that's to the west of this Sea of Galilee. And that's where he sends his disciples out to. So he sends his disciples out just before this story. And our, our story kind of picks up, picks up where they are then returning from what they've been doing. So uh, verse 30, Mark says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So both of those terms, the quiet place and the solitary place, and again, that's that same Greek word, eremos, meaning the wilderness or the desolate or solitary place. So you... You can picture it, news of Jesus is, is, is spreading, people are getting healed, set free. Um, you know, just imagine that starts happening down by the Thames um, now. You know, word spreads, there's someone who's down there and they're healing people and setting them free from everything that is enslaving them. People are getting healed and restored. That would draw a crowd. Um, shortly after I started here, a, a whale got stuck on Richmond Lock. I don't know if you remember that. Um, people gathered in the middle of the night to see what was going on. Um, this, this would be bigger than that, you'd think. So Jesus' solution, he's, he's here on the, 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 the west side of the Sea of Galilee, um, is to escape the crowds, to get into a boat with his disciples. Remember that a number of them were fishermen, they knew this lake, um, and to set sail for a um, solitary place, the Aramos, the, the wilderness, to rest. And I decided the best way, oh, 
This may not turn out to be true, but I thought the best way might be to try and visualize this, is to act it out. So first of all, I, um, don't worry, there's nothing too um, serious in the roles here. I just need somebody to be Jesus. Um, <laughs> if it could be male or female. If you're sitting next to someone you think is very Jesus-like, then could you just volunteer? Can I? Who? who uh, Neil, Neil's going to come and be Jesus. Thank you. Well done. There you go. Thank you. And now we need, um, we need a couple of followers, um, a couple of disciples. So who's, who's, who's going to come and follow Neil? Um, I'm just, oh, oh, okay. This got complicated. Um, <laughs> we could turn into a kind of a, a relationship counselling thing. Okay, so, but we need another follower. Jesus needs one, one more follower. Can we have, okay, Elena, come on, wonderful, brilliant, thank you. I should have mentioned you're on, you're on camera now. There's three people watching you right now. <laughs> Say hi. Hi to the people. One of them is Jess's granddad. Hi. Um, <laughs> so we've got, um, geez, we've got followers. Now we need a crowd. Um, so we need three more, three more people. Can we have three more people? Great. Thank you, Rachel. Good. Uh, Ness, good. And Math, good. Well, wonderful. We've got a crowd. Um, so we have to do this on a, on, a, on a space budget here. So we've got Jesus, we've got two disciples, and three's a crowd, isn't it? There we go. So three's a crowd. We're fine. We're good. Um, so Jesus, his disciples, um, they're busy. They're looking for something quite... Um, Okay, this is not going to work that way around. You guys all go to that end of the church, okay? So that is the, yeah, all of you, all of you. So that is the west side of, of Galilee, okay? So this is what I want you to imagine. So the west side of Galilee is down by those doors. This is the east side of Galilee over here, um, sort of, uh, yeah, where you see the, 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 the letters of Galilee kind of on that, on, that, on that picture. Okay, so east, west. Nazareth, that's kind of where the Merrifields live. Uh, so Merrifields house is now Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth. And... Um, so Jesus' disciples are crowd, they're busy, they're looking for somewhere quiet. So Jesus decides to get away from the crowd. So crowds, you're just hassling Jesus a little bit there. Um, Jesus, your disciples, you get into a boat. <laughs> Off you go, get into your boat, and you're going to start sailing across very slowly. Jesus and your disciples start sailing across the, the Sea of Galilee. So this is, you are the sea, everybody. Just slower, slower than that. Um, are you, everybody, if you were the kids, I would get you to put your hands up and start waving or something because you're, you're the sea. Okay, there you go. Um, and uh, crowd, all right, just pause there a moment. Crowd, you've got two options there. Jesus and his disciples are getting away. You can kind of go big or go home. Um, so what are you going to do? You're going to go big, okay? So what you start doing is you start going around the lake. Mark says they ran. <laughs> and more joined them on the way. We won't do that. And what happened is they get to the east side of the lake, the solitary quiet place, before Jesus and his disciples <laughs> arrive. So suddenly, here they all are. Um, and, <laughs> and the crowd is waiting for them. So they're in this desolate place, this place that Jesus um, chose. Now that you can go stand over here again. Um, there you go. Otherwise, it makes it look like I've got this little group of followers. Um, <laughs> and now there's a group of 5,000 men, plus presumably women and children. And... They don't have any food because they're in this desolate place and there are no shops. So Jesus gets his disciples to um, feed them using the five loaves and the two fishes. Um, oh, you, you guys are stepping up way beyond what I thought here. This is, this is Oscar potential. Um, and uh, yeah, hang on, I've lost my place. I've lost my place. Keep feeding them, it takes a little bit longer than that. Then, when they're finished and everyone's had everything they need and all of that, immediately, verse 45, Jesus makes his disciples get into the boat, back into your boat, just the disciples, not Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you are. He made his disciples go into the boat and go ahead of him 
to Bethsaida. Now that's sort of over there, but we, that's not going to work. So just start heading back across the way very slowly again. <laughs> See, um, stop, stop, come back, come back. You're getting too far. Um, I tell you what, the wind starts to blow and it makes it very, very hard. So actually, you're, you're going really slowly. Um, and Jesus, you send the crowd away. So crowd, you can just return to the lake for now. That's fine. You can be part of the lake. Um, and the disciples are heading across the, way, the, the lake and Jesus goes up on a hillside to pray. So you're going to come back over here. Crowd, crowd, you're done. Don't worry. We've dealt with you. Thank you. Um, you're all fed and healed and wise because you've heard all the teaching. Uh, and so Jesus goes up on a mountainside to pray, Mark says. And the disciples are heading across the, 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 the lake. Um, and again, Jesus has gone off to be, to be quiet, to be with his father, to be alone. And all the way through, so this is the punctuation of his ministry, time and again, to be in the solitary place. Meanwhile on the lake, things are not going well for the disciples, okay? The boat is in the middle, the wind starts to blow. Lake, I would say, no, we don't do that these days, do we? <laughs> don't all start blowing now. Um, but you can sort of hold them back. Mark says that Jesus is on the land, perhaps from his vantage point up on the hill, and he can see them straining at the oars. Okay? So he does the obvious thing and he walks out to them. <laughs> um, bit of crowd surfing uh, or pick a row. Okay, either way, that's fine. Good. And uh, so he comes down from the mountain and he walks out to them and um, he gets in the boat and the wind dies down and they're all amazed. And again, that's another whole, whole story. So thank you, team. You can all go and sit down now. Not sure how much that round of applause is, is to do with how well you did, how much it's just relief that they didn't have to do. <laughs> what you did. Thank you. You've taken one for the team. Yes, thank you. If you if the kids, I would have given you all bottles of water and you no, that's no bad idea. So you get what I want you to do is get the, the big picture here, okay? The sequence of events here, the framework that exists around these two stories. So before Jesus goes into ministry. Before he even does that, he goes to the solitary place where he's tempted by Satan. Then he does some ministry and then he returns to the solitary place, the place alone, to recharge. And then he heals some more people. He sends his disciples out to do the same. What does he do next? He takes them in a boat to the solitary place again. And then they feed the 5,000. What does he do? He puts them in the boat, sends them ahead, and he goes on the mountain to the solitary place again to pray, to be quiet with his father. So with Jesus, silence and solitude is not the exception, it's the rule. It's the word rule comes from the Latin word uh, regulum. Um, it's a word for a bar or a, or a trellis, which supports the growth and fruitfulness of a plant. That's what we're talking about when we talk about practices, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines or rules of life. They're not um, very fashionable words these days, but this is what they amount to. They are a framework of, of life and practice that enables us to grow and to flourish, to be with Jesus. So let's um, think just a little bit about this practice of silence and solitude, and we'll, we'll reflect on the why, and then we'll finish with, just, uh, with a few thoughts about the how. So the first thing to say is that silence and solitude is not the same thing as loneliness and isolation. Richard Foster uh, says that loneliness is inner emptiness, solitude is inner fulfillment. This is not about int introverts and extroverts. This is not about a, a kind of a lifestyle preference. It's an intentional practice of making room for God in our lives. 
Second thing, um, it goes out saying, um, but I'll say it anyway, you can be silent and alone with your smartphone, but that is not the practice of silence and solitude. In fact, it's kind of the opposite, isn't it? Um, and, and really, um, you know, it, the sort of 2007 revolution, as it's now seen, has brought this all to the fore again. That was uh, 2007 was the year that the iPhone launched and um, Twitter became its own platform, I think, and Facebook opened up to anyone and everyone. Um, and we essentially received or had imposed upon us what, what has been aptly called eternity or no, infinity in our pockets. That's why our smartphones are infinity in our pockets. And it would be um, great to do a whole deconstruction of this. We don't really have time for that this morning. But just hold in your mind what we know, what we all know, that along with all the incredible advantages um, and uh, great things that the digital age um, has brought, it's also ushered in a kind of a constant presence of everything in every moment of our lives. And it's been called the age of distraction, in which we live in a state of constant partial attention. That's a term coined by Microsoft researcher Linda Stone. And this fracturing of our attention, and perhaps our, our souls even, stops us from being present to others, to our kids, our parents, our spouses, our friends, our colleagues. It stops us being present to ourselves, and crucially, it stops us being present to God. So how do we push back against that and all the effects, um, or the negative effects, I guess you should say, of the kind of living in the digital world? Well, the ancient answer from the way of Jesus is to build silence and solitude into our daily lives. What does that do for us? Well, I'm going to um, quote now straight from um, John Mark Comer, who, uh, who has um, kind of framed a lot of the thinking in the church about this in, in, in recent years. And he says this, in silence and solitude, we decompress from modern society. We slow down long enough to feel the emotions we've been running away from. We face the good, the bad, and the ugly in our hearts. We face our desire for God and our lack of desire for God. We face our insecurities, idolatries, fantasies, the stuff that's under the surface, the motivations and addictions that help us make it through the week. And it's here in silence and solitude that God's voice cuts through all the other voices, the people, the news, the enemy, and we get a right perspective on ourselves. Successes and failures slowly lose their power over us, as does the tyranny of the approval and disapproval of other people. In silence and solitude, we come home to ourselves and to God. If we are not getting enough, he says, then we feel distant from God. We lose sight of our calling in life. We get sucked into the urgent, not the important. We neglect what really matters. We turn to escapism rather than engagement. We become easy prey for the tempter. We become reactionary. These are the signs and symptoms of a life without silence and solitude. We need to recapture this practice or else face spiritual oblivion. And uh, Henri Nguyen summarised it like this long before the digital age. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. Remember, that's what it's all about. That's what we're all about, to be with God, to be with Jesus. Now, if we want to become like him, we have to be with him. 
And if we want to be with him, we have to practice silence and solitude, just as Jesus himself did. You know, he had a really busy ministry. Sometimes when you think about what have we got time for, you know, he just had three years to do it in. A really busy ministry, just three years to do it in. But he regularly made time for silence and solitude, to be alone and to pray. Uh, you know, the caveat I've said before, and I'll say again, practices, kind of these spiritual disciplines or practices are not about us trying to please God. Okay, that's really, really important. It's not about trying to earn his favour or his love. We can't do that. that. That's only possible because of his, what he's done for us on the cross. These are things that we do because we already have his favour. We have his love and we want to better experience the life that he has made us for. So finally, the, the how. Um, I'll try and keep this short. In, in truth, we probably could do an, another whole teaching on this. And perhaps we should have, but we can come back to it another time, I'm sure. So kind of level one, if you like. This is the entry level option. Put an alarm on your phone or just put five minutes in your diary each day this week to carve out for silence and solitude. Uh, find a space. Turn your phone off just for five minutes or 10 or 15 if you can manage it. And just be yourself before God each day this week rest in his presence let what's inside come to the surface and just intentionally bring that to him bring yourself before him and listen kind of level two um, talk to someone else about this you know discuss how silence and solitude works or doesn't work for you get practical you know in real life this can be difficult it's good to figure this out together with other people. Those of you in uh, connect groups, you know, which is sort of any All Souls small group gathering during the course of the week, um, you know, spend a few minutes on this, this this week if you can. Or else grab a coffee with someone from church and, and chew it over with them this week. You can grab a coffee and talk about other things as well. It's a good, a good thing to do. But just maybe, maybe have a chat about that. Third, um, level three, if you want to go deeper, um, three books I can recommend. There's um, The Common Rule by Justin Early. I think I mentioned this book a while back, actually. Um, it just makes some really good practical suggestions of how to build um, margin and, and space for silence and solitude into life, particularly um, from the perspective of being a digital age, particularly from the perspective of being a parent with young kids. Um, uh, he's, he's got four young boys which has been relatable um, for, for, for us with three young boys and some of the complexity that brings to finding silence solitude Ruth Haley Barton's uh, book uh, Invitation to Silence and Solitude does what it says on the tin um, so if you want to go deeper that's a, that's a great place to start um, and then there's um, John Mark Homer's Ruthless Elimination of Hurry uh, a book which I know many of you have read um, and whose fingerprints you will have recognised on a lot of what I've been sharing this morning um, but why don't we just, just finish just by, by briefly practicing what I've preached. And we, we, we can't exactly do solitude. I, I know that's the point. We're gathered. <laughs> um, but we can be still a moment. And we can just take a moment to be with Jesus and to just invite him to speak into our lives and meet us where we're at. So... Well, we'll just stay seated while we do this. That, um, in just a couple of minutes, we'll, we'll worship as we head into our time of communion. But we've just got these, these couple of minutes now. I'll just, just talk us 
So it was just a short preparation and, and we'll leave just a bit of space for, for God to show up and do what only he can. So just get comfortable, maybe take a couple of deep breaths. Maybe there's a, a verse or a phrase from scripture you, you, you just want to bring to mind. Yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. Just dwell on that or something Jesus said, like, come to me, though you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Or you can just picture yourself with Jesus in one of those stories that we just heard, perhaps sitting in the boat with him or maybe sitting on the hillside with him overlooking the lake. Then I just come to him as you are. Whatever's bubbling up inside you right now, just come and bring that to him. Offer that to him. Talk to him about it in your heart. <clears throat> 